Today is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. President Biden's eyeing up action on student loan debt. We'll have the details on that and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. If you agree with that mission, go ahead, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, share with a friend, all that fun stuff. It's a long week of news, and why not, why go why go at it alone? Let's go at it together. With me is Billy Hallowell and Trey Gones Phillips from CBN's Faith Wire to help us get through it all, guys. What's going on? Happy uh, Hump Day! Another exciting day, <laughs> halfway. Or to wonderful Wednesday. <laughs> a lot of lot on the plate today, so we're gonna get right to. I mean, you guys are looking at a, a prominent actor speaking out against porn. Always good to see because it's becoming more and more mainstream. And then. A crazy survival story of a Bible that just, I, I don't know how it survived this, but we're going to hear the details on those. Plus, on the main thing, Dale Hurd from CBN drops by to talk about the Chinafication uh, that some believe the European Union is undergoing right now. But first, we're going to get through the news here in uh, 90 seconds, a little bit about what's going on this week. President Joe Biden expected to announce a decision on student loan forgiveness today. They're reportedly leaning towards canceling up to $10,000 in student loan debt per borrower, but only for those who earn less than $125,000 a year. They're also looking to uh, do one more extension of the freeze on federal loan repayments. This was a COVID measure. August 31st is the current expiration date. An extension would push repayments until after the midterm elections. A missing teen was found weeks after going missing, and it's a tragic ending, but how they found Keely Rodney's car 55 feet from shore is quite something. It was authorities looking for a couple of weeks, and then a popular YouTube duo known as Adventures with Purpose. They took 48 hours, and they located the missing car and presumably the teen. So tragic ending, but really good to see people trying to help out. They volunteer their time, so... Uh, prayers there for that situation. And a comment by Stacey Abrams made during a church appearance in late July has Christians talking this week. She was talking about the issue of abortion and called it cruelty and meanness, but not towards the unborn child. Take a listen to this. We live in a state that right now has decided to take cruelty to a new level. I am the daughter of two pastors. I have a strong moral core. I was trained to read and understand the Bible, and I will tell you this. There is nothing about the decision to eliminate access to abortion care that is grounded in anything other than cruelty and meanness and danger in the state of Georgia. Nothing. So that has prompted a lot of conversation. One common critique was summed up by writer Samuel Say, who responded by saying that Abrams was essentially arguing that Christian ethics are, quote unquote, cruelty and meanness at a church. And she receives applause there that he found that curious. And he then pointed out the double standard that exists where a Christian saying perhaps something pro-lifeish on the pulpit would bring charges of Christian nationalism. But you're not hearing that now. Guys, your reaction to that real quick, the the Stacey Abrams clip, because that's something from the pulpit you don't hear a lot these days. Well, you're hearing this term Christian nationalism that nobody can fully seem to really identify or specify what it means, really. You're hearing that a lot. But when these sorts of examples come up and it's sort of a Democrat or somebody on the left, that term is not used. But but really, that would be what this is if we're going to be consistent. And I think obviously there's problems with that term and I wouldn't actually use it. Um, but there's a little bit of a double standard here. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, I, you know, sometimes I think that is the the reason that the terms are so nebulous, right, is so then uh, they can kind of be redefined or we can alter what they mean, uh, you know, or we can just not apply them at all, as is the case here. Uh, and then, you know, nobody can say anything because it's so loosely defined that the argument can then be, well, this is actually the definition. We'll just keep moving the goalpost uh, to meet whatever the, the political point would be. Yeah. And it's just, uh, we, there's a lot there, but again, that, that double standard can get frustrating at times and when the politics is one-sided, as you were mentioning there, Billy. And then when it comes the other way, it, it's kind of cricket. So those are just some of the headlines happening today. You can check out those and more over at cbnnews.com and a prominent actor speaking out against porn. He's done it before and he's doing it again and giving a little bit about his story. Trey, who was speaking out? Yeah, so actor and television host Terry Crews, he's known most recently for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, of course, for playing the MC on uh, America's Got Talent. Uh, he's opening up yet again about his struggle with pornography. Uh, he said recently that he and his wife decided to go on what he called a, quote, 90-day sex fast uh, to essentially restart his view of sexuality and to separate it from his addiction to pornography. Uh, he told Entertainment Tonight, we did it together. Rebecca, his wife, was right there and she actually regrouped with me. I went on a 90-day sex fast with her and people were like, whoa, that's crazy. Uh, but let me tell you something. It was so beautiful uh, to do that. He said it took me, It took. he said it took him to a time when he was just 12 years old. He said, quote, and I liked a girl and I didn't know anything about sex. It was just about romance. He said initially, uh, he wanted to actually keep his struggle with pornography to himself. He had no intention uh, of, of ever disclosing to his wife, Rebecca, that he struggled with pornography, even though he did for 20 years in their marriage. It even led to him to step out uh, and have affairs, uh, but he planned to keep that a secret as well. Uh, he's been struggling with porn since he was nine years old when he first uh, was exposed to it. But ultimately, his wife figured it out. Uh, she knew something wasn't right. She's, he said she sat him down and said, hey, what's going on here? Why are we drifting further and further apart, seemingly for no reason? Uh, so he disclosed what was going on, that he had a long time struggle with pornography. And initially, Rebecca's response was actually to leave Cruz. Uh, but because of their Christian faith, uh, she ultimately decided to stick it out with him and work through it. And now both of them are saying it paid off. Uh, Cruz is now describing his wife as his rock. Uh, and she recently told Christian Post this about her husband. She said, today I look at my husband and I always say that he's a better man than I am a woman. He took hold of the word of God and he took hold of the scriptures and he just ran with all his might. He said, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. And he amazes me every day. He really is a kinder, gentler version of Terry Crews because he let God do a work in his life. A couple of fatal mistakes here from Terry on a lighthearted note. <laughs> the wife always knows. She's always going to know. There's, there's no point in trying to hide something from your wife because they know. There's a great scene in The Force Awakens where uh, the, the stormtrooper guy that's escaping out and, and he's kind of pretending that he's with the resistance and Ray is going along with it. And Han Solo's like, yeah, they always find out the truth. So just go ahead and let it happen. So anyway, there's that. But yeah, I mean, as we've covered in our e-course, Set Free Course, uh, which you can go to setfreecourse.com and people are still going to that because, uh, look, this issue is not going to go away. But as we've noted that, I mean, nine years old, you mentioned there, Trey, that's it. It just yeah. sounds so young, but that's the truth of the numbers, nine, 10, 11 years old, especially with all these technology devices that we have at our fingertips. 
people are exposed to this younger. It's shaping their view of women. And then the other stat is that people are getting married older. So now you've got this big window from 9, 10, 11 years old to 27, 28, 29 years old. You're talking the, the majority of your life where you're getting this warped view of women. And then you enter into marriage and expect everything to go well. And it just it's not going to go well. So good for Terry Crews to talk about this because it's it's not a topic that's going to win you a lot of praise in most circles in culture. So good for him for speaking out. Well, you've got entertainment too, right? Like you've got sexual content is so out of control in entertainment yeah. that kids are getting exposed to that too. When we were kids, it was not quite what it is now. There were things going on, but not like this. So, you know, major props to him though, because a lot of people go through what he went through and they might never talk about it publicly. And so that's another bold decision to say, I'm going to go out and try to use this story to help other people struggling and journeying through the same issues. Mm. And another issue too, I want to point out, or another thing I want to point out is he actually spoke really prolifically about this because he just came out with a book uh, where he details a lot of the details uh, of his struggle with pornography. He puts it all on paper and is, is kind of an open book uh, to people. Uh, so that's incredible that he's that he's willing to be that vulnerable. But he's also told Fight the New Drug and Advocate program for people trying to, to escape porn addiction. Uh, he said that I was taught early on, or I even tricked myself maybe into believing that porn is a victimless issue. Mm. He said, but I've realized pornography is far from victimless. So much of, of the money that's funneled through pornography ends up going into sex trafficking. He said, it's rewiring my view of women uh, where I'm more prone now as a man who's consumed so much pornography. I'm more prone to act out violently toward women. Uh, he said, so it's definitely not a victimless crime. Don't believe that lie. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's actually a really great sermon as well. We should write about it at some point talking about just how when in your mind you abuse, you know, kind of the the image of an, another image bearer and the purpose for them, you're doing that without their consent as well. And, and so in a way, you're you're committing an abuse that way as well. All right. Thanks for that story, Trey. And Billy, we're going to look at the, I, I mentioned it at the top, how this Bible survived. I have no idea other than divine intervention. Yeah, this story is wild. There's a lot of stories about Bible surviving fires and they're always inspirational and they inspire the people that they impact directly. But this was a hundred year old Bible and this is a Mississippi church, College Hill Presbyterian Church in Oxford. This is a historic house of worship. It was built in 1844 and tragically on August 13th, a fire broke out and it was quote, a scene of complete devastation after this fire. All the original pews, pulpits, stained glass, all of these beautiful things from the 1800s, completely destroyed. Obviously, the church is in mourning, but when they went into the church, one of the items, and really the only major item of historic significance, was this Bible that survived. And this Bible is particularly important because it dates back to the beginning of the church. There are actually notes in the margins of the Bible pages from all the pastors who have preached out of this Bible. It's been passed on for generations. And it was interesting to hear the church members speak about this. One of the elders, Doug Paul, he said that there was really a profound message in this. He said, quote, we are a Bible-believing church, and we believe that is the word of God, and that is sustaining. And so the, the idea that essentially nothing in this church survived but the word of God, that's not lost on us. And so he had the Bible. He showed the Bible. It was really incredible to see it virtually unscathed 
from this fire, especially when you see the images. And so it's bringing hope to the congregation. Uh, But one of the other things I loved is that they said, look, we have a lot of heartbreak. We're in a lot of pain, but we also have hope. Um, And one of the things that that Deacon said that I loved, he said, if God protected us for the first 180 years, there's no reason why we're not going to build again and be protected for another 180. So God's using that story, I think, to reach people and inspire people. Yeah, and that is great. And, And one of the critiques you'll see from atheists on a story like this is they'll say, well, why didn't God just not have a fire in the first place? That would have been a greater sign to send. But you just don't know what God's doing and why he's doing it. And we're not promised a life of where everything's sunshine and lollipops, where nothing bad happens to us. But we're always being formed through trials, and trials are what make us end up coming out better on the other side. And uh, we're living in a fallen world as well, so there are things that are going to get destroyed and whatnot. As Christians, we can see the hope and look for where God is looking to sanctify us in the process, and that's, that's always part of the hope that we have. I think these stories, too, are a great reminder to be looking out for signs from God, uh, to be looking out for for instances where the Lord is kind of reaching out to, to people and, and showing himself uh, to be present or using, you know, seemingly insignificant happenings or insignificant little details uh, of situations uh, as reminders uh, of his presence. So I think, you know, it's easy to just pass it off as a coincidence that the Bible survived uh, or to pass it off as a coincidence in other stories that we've written that the cross remains standing after a church burns to the ground. This isn't to say that that's always going to be the case, uh, but so often it seems that the Holy Spirit takes those little instances and uses them as reminders to say, look, you've gone through a really devastating trial. You're in the midst of a really tough storm, uh, but as long as you keep your eyes trained on me like Peter did, you're going to be okay. Well, and it's weird how many Bibles do survive. Yeah. I mean, this happens an awful lot. Right. There's no reason. I mean, in a big inferno like that, there's just no reason why it should survive. Always just great to see the miracle in the first place. So amidst the craziness, but there, there's a message there and these congregants are taken to it. And so our prayers are with them as well. And um, that leads us into our main thing for today, guys. And as I said at the top, some are warning that the European Union is undergoing sort of a Chinafication. And so the details on that broken down by Trey Gons Phillips and CBN's Dale Hurd for today's main thing. As technology advances, so do lawmakers' imaginations when it comes to how those new systems could be used to seize information from and wield control over its citizens. By this time next year, the European Union will be rolling out what some critics are calling a Trojan horse, a new digital identity system that could put a great deal of personal information into the hands of the government, a program that could be on the horizon in the United States. Dale Hurd, thank you so much uh, for joining us to break down this story. You know, before we get into some of the details, Dale, I wanted to ask if you could just, in a nutshell, kind of give us a summary of what this digital identity system in the EU is all about. Sure. Well, someone in Brussels thought it would be helpful if uh, they created a digital wallet that would protect people online. And um, so it's it's in testing. Uh, I'm probably now it was supposed to to go into testing uh, around, about this time. And um, yeah, and then we can get into the the question of does it actually protect people online? But so this is obviously rife with um, the possibility of abuse and lawmakers, as I have in my story, speaking out about how. They're calling this the Chinification of Europe. 
um, how easy it would be for governments to take this and abuse it. And, and they point out that the EU has started things in the past, which ended up in abuse and the loss of freedom. You know, I think so many of these programs, uh, maybe somewhere along the way, uh, it started with good intentions, uh, but so easily these programs go south uh, when you have uh, government officials potentially with not so good motives, uh, or just the opportunity, I think, is is often the temptation is often too strong to not uh, wield it uh, in in a negative way that that suppresses the rights of people. And one of the the main concerns is the religious liberty aspect. Uh, could this potentially pose a threat to Christians who have views that are out of line with the government talking points or mainstream ideology? What do you have to say to that question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the European Union is discussing uh, enshrining, for instance, abortion as a human right. The EU uh, endorses, you know, Gay Pride Month. Um, a fellow in Austria, a Christian, was telling me that that was inaugurated in Austria with the public showing of a pornographic gay film. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that the EU condones that Christians oppose, and the Christians uh, could very well have the heavy hand of the state come down on them. You know, it, the times that we're living in, I think the last time I was on, we were talking about FBI abuse. And I just saw someone, uh, a public figure on Twitter, apologize for supporting the Patriot Act after 9-11. Most conservatives were all for that. And, and yet, like the Ron Paul type libertarians were warning, no, this is a bad idea. And guess what? The Patriot Act is now, the powers of the Patriot Act are now used to come after conservatives. That's a lot of these FBI abuses and the secret FISA courts that went after Trump. Those stem from the Patriot Act. And so, yeah, a lot of well-meaning legislation uh, when you're not careful, it will come back to bite you. And it seems more often than not that these kinds of broad-reaching policies are often the result of governing by fear. Uh, and then when the threat, the immediate threat passes, uh, you're left with this uh, legislation that gives the government often unconstitutional and certainly overreaching powers uh, that then, uh, as you noted, uh, are often abused by a bloated FBI or, or a government that has hopped up on their own uh, authority. Uh, so do you see this as something that could potentially come to the United States in the future? Yes, absolutely. Um, I had to think because it did. It was brought up in Congress uh, as legislation a couple of years ago, and it didn't go anywhere. Uh, Canada wants to adopt it. I read a very interesting story today from Pakistan. Uh, one of their national leaders, Imran Khan, is uh, has been accused of terrorism, and there's a power struggle between his supporters and the government. And Pakistan has a biometric um, national identity, and the government just warned his supporters, "We might turn off your bank accounts." We really have to look at the at the legal and the um, constitutional principles or, or violations behind some of this new technology. And that reminds me of a story I did about um, uh, artificial intelligence in which an ethicist at the Naval War College told me, ethics always trails technology. And that's a problem. And, and that's a big problem here where the government wants to know so much about you. 
Dale, my last question for you is uh, this proposal in the EU, uh, which has been, as you mentioned, has been entertained in in countries around the world. uh, The big selling point, the big pitch for why it's necessary is because it protects against identity theft for individuals. Uh, But you and your report actually spoke to an expert who believes that the exact opposite is true. So is there any stock really to the claim that this is protecting citizens from having their identity stolen? Right. Yeah. I interviewed an engineer from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and she said, not only does this not protect your identity online, it would probably increase the chances of identity theft. Um, and, And really think about it. I mean, have you been to a DMV lately? I mean, the government doesn't do a whole lot of things well. And so do you really want the government in charge of your digital identity? Um, so this is something, this is another issue where people need to not mind their own business. They need to get involved and they need to talk to their legislators and and make it clear they don't want this kind of thing in America. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think government is by design uh, supposed to be slow and clunky uh, and difficult. So I think, you know, would we really want the government to be in charge of these kinds of things? And I think uh, the common sense answer, uh, of course, is no. Uh, so you know, I think we'll see more of this in the future. Uh, this is this is just the beginning of, of certainly a new wave of using technology in a way that could down the line be abusive. So Dale Hurd, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to break this story down. Happy to. All right, Trey and Dale, thanks for breaking that one down. And that leaves us with time for one uh, final thought today here, guys. And I, I have to go to this Sam Harris commentary here where he said that he's an atheist. And he said, where is heaven exactly? Given that we have multiple telescopes up there beaming back information. So he was kind of going on about how heaven can't exist because we can't see it up there in the sky. <laughs> Maybe he was being tongue in cheek, but it doesn't seem like he was. And so I, but it, it made me think of, well, what do we say to, to somebody instead of just like mocking or joking? What do we actually say to someone who's honestly questioning and says, well, where is it? Where is heaven? For me, the the spiritual answer would be that it's a realm that we don't physically see before us, right? It's not something we would expect to see with a telescope. I don't think there's anything in scripture that would point us to that, at least at this point in human history. Yeah, you know, I think the the first verse that came to mind immediately uh, when when I heard the story is 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, uh, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And it just reminded me that the only reason that we as believers are able to accept by faith something that is so radical uh, to our human mind is because we've been sanctified and changed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so apart from that, of course, we would be wondering these questions and and being stumped by the idea of, well, why can't I see it through a telescope? Uh, the only reason we accept it is because we know uh, these things to be true because of the conviction and the change of the Holy Spirit. And in fairness to Sam Harris, as a materialist, you know, makes sense that you would have a materialist view of things that you would be able to you don't believe in anything that unless you can see and touch it but of course though the contradiction lies within things like truth and beauty you know morality good right wrong all these things that we can't see but we know exist so uh, a lot more we could talk about but we're going to leave it there for today as always head on over to cbnnews.com faithwire.com for more news from a christian perspective god bless see you back here tomorrow <laughs>